At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Good morning, church. It's good to worship with you again. Look forward to continuing to worship God as we open His Word and hear from Him. And this morning we are in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We started in chapter 5 back at the beginning of September, and we're going to stay in chapter 8, Lord willing, all the way up until December. We'll do a new sermon series for Christmas, but I'm excited to dive into Romans chapter 8. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then Romans is the sixth book of the New Testament. If you're following along in your Bible, we're going to be looking at the first eight verses. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. And I also want to welcome any first through fifth graders who are here with us this morning. Today is the first ever, at least since uh, Maple Grove has been Woodside, uh, that we've had first through fifth graders with us in what we're calling Family Worship Sunday. Um, And the idea is being carried out across all of Woodside campuses where We want to give our children, especially first through fifth graders, a chance to worship with their parents or their caretakers, um, and uh, also a chance to grow into being in corporate worship, being in big church, as I used to call it. Um, But we're grateful to have you guys, and uh, hopefully going to share some things that will connect with some of the interests you have and I have with you. uh, We'll see. Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 8, I should turn there, and I have my handy-dandy ribbon. Romans 8, verses 1 through 8. Brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed It cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Skinny Steve Rogers. Dweeby Peter Parker. Puny Bruce Banner. Now this isn't how we most often think about our favorite superheroes, but the truth is, this is how... They all started. Before Steve Rogers was the strong, agile, shield-slinging Captain America, he was skinny, weak, 
unable to qualify for military service, before Peter Parker was the high-flying, web-slinging, crime-fighting Spider-Man, he was unathletic, he was picked on by bullies, and before Bruce Banner was the mega-strong, super-sized Hulk, he was a totally normal guy, nothing too striking. But in each one of these character stories, they received something from outside of themselves that totally transformed their lives. Steve Rogers received the super soldier serum and was transformed into Captain America. Peter Parker received radiation from a radioactive spider and was transformed into the amazing Spider-Man. And Bruce Banner received gamma rays during a science experiment gone wrong and he was transformed into the incredible Hulk. But what if we had access to something outside of ourselves that totally transformed our lives? Just like skinny Steve Rogers, we have weaknesses. We have limitations. We have needs. We have all sorts of brokenness in our lives. So what if we had access to something outside of ourselves that completely transformed all of that? Well, this morning, we're kicking off a new series we're calling Unstoppable, where for the next five weeks, we will journey through what many would consider the greatest chapter in the Bible. And through this chapter, we will discover indeed that God does have a power beyond ourselves that completely transforms our lives. And we will uncover a more lasting force than just our hard work and gritting it out. We will discover a more enduring purpose than achieving momentary success. Because through the truth of Romans chapter 8, we can experience freedom in a power that is not our own. And so with that in mind, let's start digging in Romans chapter 8. And verse 1 begins the chapter like a trumpet blast to our hearts declaring the truth that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So from the start of this letter onward, the apostle has explained that we are indeed worthy of condemnation because of our sins. Starting in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 7, there is all sorts of evidence that the apostle believes we are worthy of condemnation because of our sin. He explains that each one of us was created to love God and obey God, but each one of us has fallen short of that. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, for there is no distinction, whether you're in first grade or the nursing home, whether you're on the far right or the far left, whether you live in the far east or the west, there is no distinction. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so because of our sin, because of our disobedience, we will face justice. That truth can be found throughout Romans chapters 1 through 7, especially chapters 1 through 3. And yet, now the apostle says, in Christ, there's no condemnation. Or as Paul put it earlier, in Christ, we are justified before God. 
We are righteous in his sight. Now he puts it negatively. Not only are we justified, we are not condemned in Christ. And that's the key little phrase there, in Christ. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. So what does that little phrase mean? Well, two things at least we can say. I think we can say that it relates to those who identify with Christ as one of his followers. In other words, I am in Christ because I identify with Christ. Who he is defines who I am. I bear his name, Christian. I am in Christ. We could also say that this little phrase, in Christ, relates to those who are in the realm of Christ. In other words, those who are in Christ are those who are under the rule and reign of Christ. We are in his realm. We are citizens of his kingdom. We are in Christ. And so that's why we've got down there, as your main point, our new location in Christ removes our condemnation. We are no longer under the power of sin. We are no longer within the realm of darkness. We are located in Christ. We are under his lordship. And in this place in Christ, there's no condemnation. For us with God, there is only acceptance, approval, and grace. No condemnation. Now we may feel condemned. At times we may feel deep shame for the sinful things we've done or for the sinful things done to us. At those times, we may feel deeply ashamed and worthy of condemnation and rejection. But that's why we keep showing up here week after week in order to press this truth deeper into our hearts, come back to this truth that in Christ, under Christ, with Christ, there is now no condemnation. And in these next several verses, the apostle is going to explain how. How can there be no condemnation for us who are in Christ? How can we be free from the eternal consequences of our sin? How is this possible? And the apostle's purpose in explaining to us how we're not condemned is to assure us that we're not condemned. The idea is if we understand how we're not condemned, then we'll be assured that we are not condemned. And he wants us to live in that assurance. So first, Paul explains, in Christ, we are not condemned because the Spirit frees us. The Spirit frees us in Christ. So look once more at verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ from the law of sin and death. So here it is that we're introduced to our super soldier serum. Here it is that we're introduced to our radioactive superpowering spider bite. Here it is that we are introduced to the power outside of ourselves that totally transforms us, the spirit of the living God. And God's Holy Spirit is going to continue to dominate this chapter. Up until Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit has been mentioned four times. 
In Romans chapters 1 through 7, Paul mentions the Holy Spirit only four times. And in Romans chapter 8 alone, he mentions the Holy Spirit eight times. I'm sorry, 20 times. 20 times. No other chapter in the entire Bible contains more references to the Holy Spirit than Romans chapter 8. Four times up until it and 20 times within it. So there's going to be a lot for us to learn about the Holy Spirit, who he is, and who he is for us as we study Romans chapter 8. And the first thing we learn about the Spirit here is that he frees us. He liberates us. But what does he liberate us from? Paul says we've been set free by the Spirit from the law of sin and death. So you recall over the last few weeks studying Romans chapter 7 that a big emphasis in that chapter relates to God's law. And Paul's point there is that God's law, good as it may be, does not lead to our salvation. Quite the contrary, in fact. Instead, Paul teaches that God's law reveals our sin. God's law even arouses our sin within us, and certainly God's law condemns our sin. And so after pointing all that out in Romans 7, Paul now feels free to refer to God's holy law as the law of sin and death. Because God's law only reveals our sin, arouses our sin, and condemns our sin, assuring us that we will die as sinners and stand before God in judgment. But now, in Christ and through the Spirit, we are free from the law of sin and death. We are no longer bound by the certainty that we will die in our sins. Through Jesus and by the Spirit, we can live and die knowing that what defines us is not condemnation for sin, but freedom from sin. What defines us is not death through the law, but life through the Spirit. Because you see, over trying to overcome death, trying to overcome death apart from the Holy Spirit is like Steve Rogers trying to take down the Red Skull without the super soldier serum. Trying to overcome our sin without the Holy Spirit is like Peter Parker trying to climb the side of a building without his super spider sticky powers. It ain't happening. The Red Skull would get crushed. The Red Skull would crush Skinny Steve and puny Peter couldn't climb two feet up a one-story building. And so it is with us. As we stare down the law of sin and death, we can never be good enough. We can never do enough good. Sin is in us and death awaits us. But in Christ, the Spirit frees us. The Spirit frees us to live forever. The Spirit frees us to face death without fear. Frees us to begin now to overcome the power of sin in our lives. So Christian, you who are in Christ, there is no condemnation for you. You have been liberated from the power of sin. You have been freed from the finality of death. And so let's rest assured in God's favor for us. And let's open our hearts to more and more receive this truth. 
the life-giving spirit. How do we know we're not condemned? In Christ, we are freed by the spirit. And secondly, in Christ, God condemns our sin. In Christ, God condemns our sin. So listen again to verses three and four. Paul writes, for God has done. This is such a beautiful little phrase. God has done. That little phrase reinforces that the gospel is not about what you can do for God. The gospel is about what God has done for us. And this is so important because this is what separates Christianity from every other religion, whether it's of the secular variety or traditional religions, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism. This is what separates Christianity from every other religion. It is not about what we can do for God. It's not about what we can do for ourselves, as in secularism. The gospel of Jesus is about what God has done for us. This little phrase reinforces that. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. So as Paul stated in Romans 7 and in other places, the law could not do for us what we needed it to do for us. The law can't save us. Because as he puts it here, the law is weakened by the flesh. So he's pointing out here that it's not the law's fault that the law can't save us. It's our fault. The law is weakened by the flesh. And what he means here by flesh is our own moral effort. Our own attempts to be good, to act right, to think pure. When we're relying on ourselves and our ability to be lawful, then we're living out of the flesh. And Paul says the law is weakened by our flesh. There's nothing wrong with God's law. It's that in our flesh, in our own efforts, we can't keep it. And so God has to do what we could not do, what the law could not do. And here's what he did, verses three and four. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. God condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. We could not fulfill the law. And so God did what we could not do. God sent his son, Jesus, to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law on our behalf. And then on the cross, God condemned the righteous one. So this is how I often say it, and I got this line from author, pastor, Tim Keller. Jesus lived the life that you and I should have lived. He fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And then Jesus died the death that you and I deserved. God condemned sin in his flesh, on the cross, in the body of Christ. Jesus lived the life you and I should have lived. He succeeded where we failed. And then he suffered the judgment that we deserved. In Christ, God condemned our sin. So this is how serious God takes sin. He sent Jesus to die for it. God doesn't wink at sin. God doesn't say, you know what? Let's just pretend that didn't happen. 
No, this is how serious God takes sin. He sent Jesus to die for it. And this is how completely God redeems us from sin. He sent Jesus to die for it. So the cross is this combination of both God's justice and his mercy. God's justice is satisfied in that Jesus paid the rightful penalty that we deserved for our sin. And God's mercy is unleashed in that Jesus paid the rightful penalty for our sin. God's grace, God's justice come together at the cross. C.S. Lewis gives us a beautiful picture of this in his novel, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. In the story, four siblings and movie, Peter, Edmund, Susan, and Lucy, they enter the magical world of Narnia. But while they're there, one of the siblings, Edmund, betrays his brothers and sister. And he joins up with the evil white witch. And because Edmund is a traitor, he's condemned to death under Narnian law. However, the great lion Aslan, the Christ figure in the story, he offers himself to die in Edmund's place. And his death takes place on this great stone table, which symbolizes the stone tablets of the law. And it's there that Aslan is put to death. However, the next morning, something amazing happens. Here's how Lewis puts it. At that moment, the siblings heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise, as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. It was the stone table broken in two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan upon it. They looked round, and there, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. But what does it all mean, asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the white witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes only back to the dawn of time, but if she could have looked further back into the stillness and darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's place, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. So the cracking of that stone table is a beautiful image of what Christ did for us in his death and resurrection. He became a willing sacrifice in our place, dying the death we deserved for our sin. And so he broke, he cracked the power of sin and the law. He condemned it, demolished it, put an end to its reign. And so now in him, sin is condemned and death is being undone. For a lot of us, our sin defines us. I'm a drunk, I am a cheater, I am unfaithful. And for a lot of us, our sin makes us feel ashamed. I am a failure, 
I'm unworthy. I'm unlovable. But the truth is, in Christ, our sin is condemned. And so we are no longer defined by our sin. We are free. In Christ, we are forgiven and our sin is condemned. And so we no longer have to be controlled by the shame of our sin. We are loved. We are accepted. Christian, this is what most defines you. Not that you are a sinner, but that you are a saint. Because your sin has been totally dealt with on the cross. And so in God's eyes, you are way more of a saint than a sinner. Let's see ourselves as God sees ourselves. Forgiven, redeemed, loved. For us to live in our shame. For us to allow our sin to define us is an offense to the cross and what Jesus did there for us. Jesus totally, fully, sufficiently took care of our sin. And so for us to allow our own sin or the sins of others against us to define us is an offense to the cross. Brothers and sisters, there is a river of grace that always flows from the cross, redefining who we are. Saints, way more than we were ever sinners. Let's see ourselves as God sees ourselves. How does God make it so that we know we're not condemned? In Christ, the Spirit frees us, In Christ, God condemns sin. And finally, in Christ, we walk by the Spirit. In Christ, we walk by the Spirit. Look finally at verses five through eight. Actually, we're gonna start at the end of verse four. Look at how he finishes that verse. God sent his son to die in our place to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law for us, us who walk not according to the flesh, but us who walk according to the Spirit. Those are the people for whom Christ lived and died. Those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So again, the flesh is a way for Paul to refer to our own moral effort, our own attempts to obey God by our own power. The flesh is skinny Steve Rogers trying to pick up the shield. The flesh is... Normal guy, Bruce Banner, trying to do a Hulk smash. Paul is saying, for us who are in Christ, we don't live that way anymore. The Christian life is not walked out in the power of the flesh. Rather, there is a power outside of ourselves that we receive the power and presence of the Holy Spirit, and we walk by Him. We live by Him. He continues in verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So it's like he's expanding here on what it means by walking by the flesh versus walking by the Spirit. Walking in the flesh is for us to set our minds on the things of the flesh. 
A life dominated by the flesh is a life lived under our own fleshly power, which is ultimately going to be a life dominated by sin because on our own, we can't help but give in to sin. So in Romans chapter 7, verse 5, Paul refers to the sinful passions of the flesh. You try to live life under your own power, you're going to live a life dominated by sinful passions because on our own, we can't help it. That's why other religions don't work. So to set our minds on the flesh is to set our minds on sin, to set our minds on selfish desires, set our minds on things that don't honor God. But the one who walks and lives according to the Spirit is just the opposite. He has his mind set on the things of the Spirit, worship, prayer, spiritual community, scripture, growth, truth, so on. Walking in the Spirit, our minds are set on the things of the Spirit. So for me growing up, my mind was set on playing football. I was consumed by it. I was absorbed into it. It's all I thought about. It's all I planned for. Every other passion must bow to this passion, playing ball. If something got in the way of playing ball or getting better at playing ball, then that thing was vetoed. I was religiously devoted. My mind was set on the things of playing ball. And for you, it may be your job, maybe your children, your home, your hobby, many of them good things, but they become God things and they consume you. Your mind is set on them. But the apostle says that the one who walks by the Spirit has his mind set on something different, the things of the Spirit, and we're consumed by them, absorbed into them, planned for them. Every other passion must bow to this ultimate passion, God, and the things of God, the things of the Spirit. And this is so important because as Paul goes on to explain, verses 6 through 8, you set your mind on the flesh, To do that is death, but to set your mind on the Spirit is life. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God because it doesn't submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot submit to God's law. There's no hope trying to live in the flesh. You'll never please God. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Walking in the Spirit, there is life, peace, favor with God, no condemnation, but walking in the flesh, there is death, disobedience, hostility with God. Pastor, scholar, John Stott sums it up nicely. Quote, Our mind, where we set it and how we occupy it, plays a key role in both our present conduct and our eternal destiny. In Christ, we walk by the Spirit with our minds set on the things of the Spirit. At our men's breakfasts that we have here occasionally over the last few years, we've had a few men share their testimonies at their breakfast. Um, They'll share their life story, especially how they came to know the Lord. Those three men were Gary Gillum, Paul Lepore, and Jim Durbin. And for each one of them, as you listen to their stories you can see this shift of mindset in their lives. As they trusted in Christ, as they've grown in Christ, there's this shift in what their minds were set on before Christ and what their minds are set on afterwards. 
Before Christ, there was a preoccupation with money, with work, with possessions, with gambling, with alcohol, with worldly, momentary pleasures and achievements of all kinds. But then, as Jesus got a hold of them, their minds became set on the things of the Spirit. And all of a sudden, Gary is into holiness. All of a sudden, Paul has a passion for prayer. All of a sudden, Jim is devoted to serving the people of God, the church. There's this shift in their mindset. And if you know these men, you've seen it in their lives. Sure, they work hard at their jobs. But is their deepest desire to achieve a lot at work? No. It's to serve God and others through their work. Do they work hard at being good parents for their children? Sure. But is it their deepest desire that their children make straight A's, get a great job, and make a bunch of money? No. They just want their children to follow Jesus and love God. And I could go on and on with different aspects of their lives where it is evident their minds are set on the things of the Spirit because now they are in Christ. So the question we must wrestle with is what is your mind set on? Is your mind set on the things of the world? Does sin consume your thoughts and decisions? Is your mind set more on your selfish appetites than it is on the spirit? Well, if so, then today is an opportunity for you to recognize that that way of living will never result in life. Paul says it clearly. You cannot please God that way. But the good news is that God has made a way for us to no longer have our minds controlled by what is hostile to him. And it's by turning from our sin and turning to God. Trusting in Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, and starting to live a life of joy and peace in him. Even more, all your past failures, all of your sins, I don't care how scandalous, I don't care how gross, I don't care how shameful they may make you feel. All of your past sins will be removed and the blood of Christ will be applied to them. All of our shame will have a place to leave it. I look back on my life before Christ. I look back on my last week and I got things that make me feel shame, make me shudder that I could do such things. And I've got stories of things that have been done to me making me feel shame making me feel unworthy. But there is a place where we can unload all of that shame and hear the words, there is now no condemnation for you. All of your sin, all of your shame, it's as far away as east is from the west. You are free. In the spirit, 
Your sin is condemned on the cross. And now you walk. Now you live. By that power outside of yourself that lives in you. The spirit of the living God. May we walk in him this week and until the end. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, before your word, we quiet our hearts. And we open ourselves to you, Father. All of our fear, all of our shame, all of our sadness, all of our anger, all of our sin, all of the stories of sinful things done to us, We bring in all of it before you, Father. And we thank you that over us, you speak blessing. You speak good news that there is for us no condemnation. All of who we are, brokenness and all, sin and all, all of who we are is welcome before you. Father, my heart is gripped as I think about our first through fifth graders being with us this morning. And I know for myself, for my own children, I know for every parent here that we want our children to get this. We want our children to be freed from the stories of shame and failure that we ourselves have walked through. All we can do, God, is ask mercy. Open their hearts to receive the truth of Jesus. Open their hearts to be transformed by the Holy Spirit now. Father, may we as parents, may we as church, be an encouraging presence. May they look back in 20 years from now and go, man, I love that church. Loving people, gospel people. And man, they love Jesus. God, give us those stories. Have mercy on us. God, thank you. Press this truth into our hearts deeper for just one more week. We'll come back and do it all again. But this week, this afternoon, the next hour, the car ride home, we need to live out the truth that there's no condemnation for us. There's freedom in the spirit. So bless us, God, as we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.